Hey, I'm Amber. And I'm Becca. And this is Forward Farming. Hey guys. Welcome back to Forward Farming. How the heck are you, Becca? Are you surviving this heat wave? I am. I Yesterday was a long day at, at work, but it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't terrible. There was a few moments I was like, okay, it's hot out. <laughs> Today was a little bit worse because the humidity is just up a lot more, I think. Yeah. And oofta. But we had more clouds today. So the every time the sun went away, it was kind of like, oh, <laughs> it's still like 90 degrees, but this feels nice. <laughs> Yeah, it's very hot. I uh, I don't mind humidity so much, but when it's when it's like ninety seven degrees and humid, then it's a little uncomfy. Yeah, that's a little much. But at least there's a, a little bit of a breeze. Mm, we didn't have that <laughs> here anyway. We had a little bit of a breeze. But yeah, I don't think we have rain in our forecast for like the next 10 days. So this, this might be a, a long, it's yeah, be a long are, summer. We are very dry here. There's like a chance for storms through 10 o'clock tonight, but, and we're like in the, enha- not enhanced, but like there's a chance, but it's not looking good so far. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, what you going to do? Good question. I was going to say drink some whiskey, according to Luke Bryan, but. Shoot, I got lemonade. <laughs> Is that good enough? <laughs> that sounds really good right now. But. Um, All right. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't talked for like two weeks. So last week, I didn't feel like it. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um. But tonight's episode is going to be really fun and educational um, because we're learning about bees today. Yeah, tonight. I'm really I'm really excited for this one. I have done a lot of research uh, about bees, about honeybees specifically. Um, I haven't done my own research. I learned I learned my research through um, some scientists from the UW Extension programs that we work with, and they do a lot of research on cranberry pollination and honeybees. And we just got our honeybees in this week. So um, I thought this would be a good time to bring someone in here that knows a little bit more about it and actually does it for a living. So we found some beekeepers from out in Colorado. Uh, they're, they're really great. And they, they know their stuff. They know their bee stuff. So I think you guys are going to like this episode. It's very educational. Yeah, I realized I know nothing about bees. So <laughs> that was... <laughs> That was good. But we might need a part two because I have yeah. questions. Yeah, we had a lot of questions and we ran out of time because too cheap to splurge for the Zoom premiums. So we only have a 40 minute time limit, which is probably a good thing some days, but. Um, yeah, that is true. Um, okay, so before we ramble on too long, do we want to do some highs and lows before we get into that interview? Sure. Do you want to start with your high? Uh, do you want to start with your high? Uh, sure. So, uh, gosh, it's been a minute since we talked. So I'm just going to go with, we got our honeybees in. Um, I talked a little bit about it on my Instagram page. I'll probably do another 
post or two about it because I like them that much. Um, but we are entering our blossom period, our bloom period out here on the marsh, which is my favorite season. Uh, everything is just really pretty and green right now. And with the blossoms, you get a nice little splash of pink in there, which is, they're a very pretty flower. Um, so once the bloom starts happening, we call our bee guy up because we just rent the bees. We don't take care of them permanently or anything. And we say, hey, we're ready. And he comes out um, with, I think right now we have 344 individual hives. Um, and then we're getting our second half in tonight. Um, so that number is going to double and we get them in two different shipments because some of our earlier varieties or like our hybrids, they blossom a little bit earlier than kind of like the later varieties, like the later harvest varieties. So they're not quite ready for the bees yet. We don't want to place the bees without there being any blossoms because then they will have nothing to eat and then they will starve. And then we just, we want to take care of the bees. That's our main mission. We want to do everything we can to take care of them and provide them with a stable environment. So we want all of their attention to go to the cranberry blossoms and not like the clover that we have growing in the grass and stuff. So we've been, we as in Dan and um, our other employees have been busy mowing all the grass around here to keep that clover low. So the bees attention is directed towards the cranberry blossom so they can get that pollen and not the clover pollen. So that was just word vomit. So I hope you understood all of that. <laughs> so the bees, good. the bees are my high. Bees. Good answer. Um, okay. My high, I got another heifer calf. That'll be my high. Um, I had one of my heifers, she actually, this is pretty impressive. So normally Swiss take like four freaking ever to calve. She was only four days past her due date, which normally we give them at least two weeks, mm. you know? So I, I was impressed. Um, she had a cute little heifer calf and I named it Sky. So well, that'd be my high for the week. What She's was your, adorbs. What was your low? I'm interested to hear what this was. And if it's not what I think it is, I have questions. <laughs> what do you think it is? Well, you, you was it yesterday or the day before when you shared on your stories about um, those twins that were almost triplets? Oh, no, that was pretty cool. I guess that could have <laughs> been my high too. Okay, so that'll be another high. Okay, so... <laughs> We had, uh, I was milking Tuesday morning. That was just yesterday. And um, there was a new calf down there. So I went down to um, help get the cow out and the calf and stuff. And we went down there and this other cow was like trying to claim the calf. And we were like, oh, that's weird. And she had um, some cleanings hanging out of her. And so I went up closer to her and she actually had... Um, it's an amorphous glob, globus, globsis. <laughs> I'm probably butchering that name, but it's basically uh, like an undeveloped twin, um, and it's it's literally a ball, about a softball size. They can range in size. That's just covered in hair, and if you like cut it open, you'll find like a random bone inside. Like they're they're so interesting, but they're so weird at the same time. 
So anyways, this cow actually hadn't calved yet, but she had that out. So we put her in the chute right away. Um, and the, the calf was trying to come out hock first. So like it's back, it was coming out backwards, which is not good to begin with. And then it's um, hooves were like forward where they should have been coming out first. Mm. So I kind of had to push the hock back in to get the hooves to come out. Um, so that took a lot of maneuvering, but long story short, I got that calf out. We didn't think it was going to be alive because just the the way that it was in there and it was pretty small and we got it out and by golly, it was breathing. So we took care of that really quick. And I was like, you know, anytime you, you pull a calf, you always want to sleeve it, especially if it's a backwards calf, because the times, you know, the amount of times that they have twins is pretty high. So I reach in there. Yup, there was another one in there. So that one was trying to come out the exact same way, hawk first. Like these poor things must've been crammed in there. Uh, so that one was a little bit easier to get out just because I had more room to work. Um, but yeah, we pulled that one out. They were both heifers. Um, so it was like, it was like 2.1 calves, you know, almost triplets. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was pretty cool. So you shoved it back in and then it wasn't spun it around it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't coming out yet like but still, so she's fully dilated but she couldn't she was trying the way she was pushing she would have never gotten it out by herself so like basically i mean i'm my, my arm was pretty much shoulder deep in her trying to push this calf forward but yeah you had to like push it forward to be able to get the foot out and you have to do that as she's trying to push as well which is always fun but I don't think I would be as grossed out or like, I don't want to say grossed out, but like weirded out if I wasn't pregnant right now. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a lot to think about. Yeah. Um, I mean, Dan, I watched it. I watched it like right after you posted it. And then Dan was watching it like at lunch and I thought he was going to puke. He's like, what is that? What is Becca doing? <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm here to ask the questions on behalf of Dan tonight. So that was pretty cool. That's wild. Our definitions of cool are a little bit different when it, <laughs> when it comes to that. But I'm glad both twins are doing well. Yeah, they're both doing great, and they're both good size too. So that's always good. There's a small, small chance that they will be uh sterile but that's just one of those things we're gonna we're gonna raise them as heifers and then um i pretty much just put a note in the computer program that we use like so if down the line they don't breed we'll know why <laughs> but just because it's you know that it's hard to know like what what even developed or what was developing um with that little ball fur so and that's not something you can check pretty for. cool outcome that's not something you can check for before you can do yeah, I mean, you can do a blood test. Um, some people on like all of their twins will do a blood test. There'd be like a 10% chance that they would be good if they're born twin to a bull. Um, our, vet, our vet just said that it's, it's a very, very small chance that they would be sterile. So we didn't do that. We don't ever test any of our twins. Um, we just assume they're free Martins right away. If I ever get twins out of my cows, I always test them and they're always bad. So... <laughs> We pretty much just raise them all as um, steers at that point. Sure. 
Interesting. I'm learning a lot tonight. <laughs> Wide the variety. The bees. Well, the bees and the cows. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, so my low. My low. Um, I've been just very stressed out about selling beef lately um, because the farmer's markets are going well. Like selling by the cut is going okay. But selling in bulk is really hard all of a sudden. And I, I think it's a mixture of because like so many people bought bulk last year mm-hmm. because once COVID hit, everyone like bought it. And also this year, everyone and their brother is selling bulk meat now around us at least. Um, so it's been really frustrating because gosh, we had, I mean, we've had these booked for like a year <laughs> and now we're having trouble finding buyers um and because we sell brown swiss if we take it to a sale barn or something we will get just jacked on the price because people i don't know why people have a problem with brown swiss (laughs) but they never sell well at at the market so we either need to find buyers for them or find um a processor that will pay us based on like the quality of the beef because um I mean, our butchers always told us that we've got like prime beef. And so it would just suck to put all that work into it and then not mm-hmm. get like anything in return. So that's been stressful. Um, yeah, especially like when I talk to like other people, everyone's like, oh my gosh, everyone wants bulk meat. And I'm like, well, not around here, but we're in a pretty rural area too. So that doesn't help. Yeah, it's just very stressful because I'm like, I don't know if I bring them in, we don't have room in our freezers for two, you know, full steers if we don't sell it by then. So I've just, I, I need to get better at marketing our meat. I know I just posted it on Facebook again and I had a couple people message me. So hopefully, hopefully a couple people will mm-hmm. pull through and we'll get some of it sold. But then I'm like, I still have um, steers book like the rest of the, the spring and summer. So, or the summer, I guess. So I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> so if anyone listening. Clearly all this was done before I was pregnant. <laughs> if anyone is listening and they need some beef, here's your sign. Yeah, hit me up. As long <laughs> as you're like within driving distance, because I'm not shipping you a quarter of a beef. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah. Well, let us know if we can do anything to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it'll get figured out. It's just one of those things. It's always the unknowns that are the worst mm-hmm. for anxiety. I feel you. <sighs> yeah. So what was your low besides um, my Culver's story today? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime Becca goes to Culver's and she posts about it, <laughs> I just tell her I'm going to block her or mute her or something because <laughs> whew, um, my low was yesterday I pulled a Becca <laughs> and I lost very important documents, aka my driver's <laughs> license and our company credit card. Um, I, I finally outgrew my bibs and so I switched over to shorts officially for the summer, which about time. And the shorts that I was wearing um, on Monday, um, they're, they're Nike shorts and they have little pockets in them. 
and I knew I had to be running into town that day. So I put my driver's license and credit card in this pocket because I don't carry a billfold or a purse or anything. Like I, it just gets in the way. So pockets are fine. Um, so I was running into like ACE and I did a couple of errands in town and I would always feel my pocket to make sure that those two things were in my pocket at all times because I was just very paranoid about them falling out somewhere. And I may, I, I, I don't know what happened. And this was like the, the worst part was because I didn't know what had happened to them. Uh, but the next day I went to go put the shorts on again and they weren't in my pocket and I tore everything apart. I tore my bathroom apart and I just could not find these stupid things. Um, and then I started to panic because I'm in the process of switching banks and I needed my driver's license to start a new um, bank account. And I told this, the banker that I was going to be in that day to come in with all my paperwork and stuff. And I couldn't find my driver's license. I didn't want to have to call her and be like, hi. Yeah. So on top of all of this, I lost my driver's license, but please, please let me put my money in your bank. <laughs> Um, so that was very embarrassing and that added to the pressure and not only that, but I had a doctor's appointment that afternoon. So thankfully Dan agreed to take me to that. <laughs> Otherwise I would have had to walk. And, um, yeah, the scariest part was just not knowing what had happened because normally I'm pretty good about if I lose something, I kind of have a general idea of like where I last saw it or where it might be, but I just had none of that. And I, <laughs> It was, it was just not a great feeling. Um, so I tore, I tore everything apart. Couldn't find it. I was, I dug through the trash cans like twice. I dug through the refrigerator thinking like, Oh, I've heard pregnant people just like somehow lose stuff in their refrigerator. So maybe I did that. I dug through my freezer, like everything that I could think of. I dug through, couldn't find it. Um, so I, I called Dan in a panic and I was like, you need to help me. You need to stop working and come help me find this. And he found it. It was underneath um, my seat down at our shop. It must have fallen out of my pocket there. <laughs> and, oh, no. and so he found it right away. So thankfully we got that taken care of, but it was just a very scary feeling not being able to remember <laughs> something important like that so I feel you that was that was not fun I am sorry for laughing at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's awful so that was my low but at least you found it yeah yeah and at least, at least you found yours after the fact yeah it was really fun ripping that up because I was like yep yeah, this is dumb <laughs> <laughs> oh do you, well do you have any goals for the week um I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow so hopefully I don't know everything's chilling this dude has found his way to my ribs so that's been fun mm. um my goal is just to keep drinking a lot of water because mm -hmm. I felt good through this heat so far and it's not going to end anytime soon but I had like three liters gone by noon today that's pretty good it was great, but I literally had to pee every two seconds. So now I, I like, I just pee everywhere. I don't <laughs> even go to a bathroom anymore. Pop a squat between the calf huts. I don't even care. <laughs> I'm getting to the point where when I stand up, like I can just feel the weight shift down and it's like, oh boy, I got to pee. 
uh-huh it was not or like you like just turn just a little bit or like adjust how you're sitting and then it it's like oh crap <laughs> it's like I just peed <laughs> uh, right so how many weeks are you now? yeah that's my goal drink drink water uh almost 34 we're 34 on Sunday okay I think I just got to so, 29 this week so we're getting there trucking along mm-hmm. yeah it's weird to think because like joe was born a little over 37 weeks so i'm just like like no shit. early too <laughs> <laughs> i should probably like get my shit together but yeah. like i said i at least have clothes i do need to um get a bed ready for said child which i just a bitch for a moment We've always, we've never done a crib. We have a small house. We've never done a crib. We always do a pack and play. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've used the same pack and play with Joe and Sophia. Um, and the, like the mattress portion of the pack and play, um, it kind of like, it's just, it's used, you know? So with Joe, I had a mattress on top of it, like a baby safe mattress or whatever. But like with an infant, you don't want, any soft surface you know you want a hard surface so like mattress that comes with it but you can't just buy that mattress like you can't I can't find it anywhere and the mattress that I can find that's like safe for an infant is like fifty dollars I might as well just buy a new pack and play at that point so I'm trying to figure out what to do Joey's like well let's just make one and I'm like let me just let me just buy a new one if that's the case I mean but, yeah with the price of everything right now you you're probably better off just buying a pack and play I mean yeah that pack and play it lasted through Joe and Sophia so it was like well worth the money but at the same time I'm like we're gonna buy I mean we're still gonna use it for at least a couple of years but yeah so I just need to buy a new one is what I'm saying but Joey when he was like just make a new one have your mom make one and I'm like yeah I, <laughs> let me just make a new mattress yes <laughs> yeah we're uh we're still banking on our sock drawer as as our baby sleep area so I feel well, you know in is that like Europe that they just send you home with a box they like give you a box of stuff well it's like it's a look it up it's like it's a real thing it's like a baby box that comes with the essential things that you need but it's also a safe place for baby to sleep Oh, so it's not just like a cardboard box. No. <laughs> That's what I thought you were getting at. It. <laughs> no, it's like, I don't know if it's Europe. I'll have to look it up. Probably. Europe is crazy. Europe is very nice about stuff like that. So yeah, it's just like be surprised. a safe place for baby to sleep. So yeah, anyways, I'm going to buy a pack and play tonight. <laughs> I was going to say, so watch out Europe. Uh, Becca is coming for you. She's going to hop on a boat and... <laughs> Just to give birth over there for the box. box. (laughs) Come back. (laughs) Uh, My insurance will cover that. (laughs) No, worth a shot. (laughs) All right. Do you have any goals? (laughs) Um, my just continuous goal is my food. Uh, just watching that. Um, I had an appointment on Tuesday, yesterday, and I had an appointment. On Friday last week, I had to see it, my OB, and then I saw um, 
my dietitian this week and I've lost like five pounds between like this whole thing in a week, which obviously that's healthy. That's what I was going to say. It's not, it's not obviously my goal to lose weight, but, um, when my OB saw that I, I had lost weight since my last appointment, she seemed very excited about it. Uh, because she was, I I guess as long as your belly's growing correctly, then that's good. And I guess, I mean, obviously that's what happens with the, the the diabetes, you get bigger, (laughs) bigger babies because your body's not breaking down that sugar and all the extra sugar goes to baby. So I had been measuring two weeks ahead of what I should have been. So she's like, you can afford, (laughs) you can afford this right now. So I mean, as long as it's not a continuous trend of me losing weight rapidly, I think it's just my body adjusting to the new changes, I hope. And then hopefully it'll just kind of level out, but. Have your like numbers been good? Yeah. Like poking wise. So that's good that you don't have to like do insulin or anything else. Yeah. So I went from being, from poking myself four times a day to only just twice a day, which is nice. It kind of gives me, it kind of gives me a little bit more flexibility too. Cause now I know like what I can and like what triggers things and what doesn't. So as long as I keep feeling well, um, and as long as my numbers are staying, oh, excuse me, staying low, then, um, twice a day it is. Good deal. Yes. So hopefully that continues. Fingers crossed. No big babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Well, I think we've jabbed long enough, so let's get to what the people really want. Let's learn about some bees. Well, guys, we are joined tonight by two very special guests. We are joined by Matt and Sarah McLean. Um, they are some beekeepers, and you can find them on Instagram over at Homestead in the Hood. Did I get that right? You did. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And you guys are in Colorado, correct? Correct. Yeah, we're uh, in Denver, kind of the southwest corner, uh, but we have hives kind of all over the Denver metro area. Cool. Well, that's a little bit different than Wisconsin. You guys have a little bit more of a view than what we've got here. We have, I'm in a swamp, so I, we have no elevation. So just going over a little hill pops my ears. So I can't (laughs) imagine what it's like to be out in Denver. Um, So thank you guys for hopping on the podcast today. We're, We're very excited to talk to you guys. Of course. Thanks. Happy to be here. So um, why don't we just get started? How did you guys get into this? Tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you guys met. Give us the whole story. We want all the juicy details. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so we've been married for about 10 and a half years. Um, we met at a church uh, in downtown Denver um, that we were both attending separately um, got to know each other through there and fell in love super quick and uh, got married. Um, in about two weeks, we were talking about marriage. <laughs> oh, it was, it was that quick. Less than a year, we were dating, engaged, and married in less than a year. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And yep. it's been amazing. It's been just really the best ever. Um, we're a really good team and we just have a really easy relationship. We're really lucky like that. Um, and we just enjoy each other. So it's really awesome. Um, and then we got into beekeeping a few years ago, um, after we bought our house and had a garden, 
uh, we kind of just kept noticing all the bees in like in the oregano and in the mint and things like that. And I just got intrigued. And finally, one day I thought, you know, I think people like keep bees like as a hobby and maybe I'd like to try that. And so Matt got me the beehive for my birthday, which happens to be in August. Um, and that's not a good time of year to actually get bees. And mm -hmm. so I had to wait all the way till the next May to get the bees. So I just did a lot of research, a lot of watching YouTubes, reading books. Many late nights, I wake up at like 4 a.m. and there she is looking on her YouTube. I'm like, you are done. Go to sleep. <laughs> I was totally addicted just learning about them they're so interesting so then I got my first set of bees my first colony um in early May and uh you know I was really excited about it and loved it Matt was kind of ambivalent about the whole thing until he saw the bees and about two weeks after we got them he said I want this to be my full-time job <laughs> wow you guys yep. make decisions pretty quick <laughs> I guess so that's true <laughs> So people want like a dog or a cat as a pet. You just, you just wanted bees. It's cool though. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I, I was kind of coming out of a, a pretty tough um, teaching career. Um, and so the timing of that was pretty miraculous of like how it all kind of played out um, and just being able to kind of quiet down and get in the hives and um, kind of get sucked into this little world that um, time kind of stands still, you know? And so it was a, a cool timing of how that, wrapped up and then kind of jumped right into the deep end on this end. Yeah, so we quickly um, went from one hive to two, and then I think we ended up with three by the end of our first summer. And then our second year, we jumped all the way up to 20. <laughs> so oh, that's a lot. A, yeah, a really big growth spurt. And then now uh, we're at about 35. It changes pretty much every day. I mean, we got another swarm today, so there's another one. And <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of always growing and changing. And at this point, we're selling bees, you know, selling nuke colonies. And so there goes one, but then we catch a swarm and here comes one, you know, so we're kind of in in deep at this point. It's really fun. That's very interesting. Um, so you guys, you pretty much, you raise bees and then you sell them off. So are you kind of, are you kind of like a bee breeder at this point? Is that kind of like something to, to compare yeah. it to? Um, I don't want to. Essentially, um, there's really kind of two different options. So like, um, especially in Colorado, we have a, like a four month break where your queens don't lay any eggs. And so they kind of just kind of hunker down and hold tight for a little while. Um, but then in the spring, that's when your queen starts laying again. Um, and things get very crowded very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so as a beekeeper, um, there are two, really two options. Um, you could let half your bees swarm and leave and you have no control where they go. Um, or you can do a split, which is for a beekeeper, you're multiplying your hives. So if you are doing a good job, you know, for instance, if we have 30 hives, um, next spring, we could have 60 um, because we're splitting every single one of those. Um, and we could either keep the extras and just have more colonies and be able to produce honey and that kind of stuff. Um, or you can sell them to people who need bees. Um, and so it, we're kind of of the philosophy that it's best if you can get bees as local as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, because for instance, like in Colorado, you don't it's okay to get bees from California or Arkansas or Mississippi or one of those warmer states, but Colorado is a whole nother ball game. 
Um, so if you can overwinter a queen in an entire colony in Colorado's altitude with our winters, with the, the shortened seasons and things like that, that's way better for you as a beekeeper in Colorado than getting California bees or somewhere that is not quite, you know, they get the shock when they come here <laughs> and they're wondering what the heck happened to the seasons. Yeah, I wonder that sometimes too. The winters <laughs> can be pretty brutal and it sounded like you guys had a very long long awful winter with a lot of snow this we year did. it was um second wettest winter on record in colorado and set the wettest spring so far so things are pretty people are kind of surprised when they come here um things are just starting to happen um the the honey is just starting to flow you know we've got days in the 80s and 90s now um, so all the plants are starting to wake up the flowers are starting to produce nectar finally um this time last year, we were pulling honey supers off and we had our first harvest and we were selling honey last year. Um, we might get, you know, a couple frames of honey um, in a couple of weeks. So, how, oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> this is how we work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the winter months, how, like, what kind of things do you have to do to take care of them? Because I mean, if it's below freezing, is that kind of harmful to them or how does that work? So bees are really hardy, actually. Um, they can stand up to negative 40 degrees for three days straight. Um, if it's longer than that, then they might die off. Um, but that's something that we never get in Colorado, um, or at least in Denver. There might be some mountain towns that can get that cold, but it rarely lasts very long. We get a lot of sun and things warm up, especially because we don't have a lot of humidity. Um, so actually, the bees are out quite a bit in the winter. Um, Anytime it hits about 50 or 55 degrees, um, they're coming out and flying around and taking a little break from being in the hive. Um, they don't actually hibernate. It's called clustering. Um, so they, they are awake. I mean, they sleep, but you know, they're just kind of hanging on inside, staying warm and eating up their honey. So I feel like my new spirit animal is a bee. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. And then this is come outside when it's 50 degrees. Like <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> so, I mean, think of it kind of like a, um, like a pack, a pack, or I don't even know what you call it, but a cluster of penguins. Right. So they kind of like cluster together and they actually vibrate to create heat. Um, so in the winter in Colorado, you need to have at least 90 pounds of honey in one hive um, in order for your bees to have enough energy to eat and to shiver and stay warm. Um, so as a beekeeper, you know, we always, we never want to take, you know, more than not 90 pounds. Um, and then for us as a safety measure, we also put a, is 10 to one sugar, uh, like a solid brick of sugar right on top of the frames. So that if something were to happen and it was like four weeks of snow and they plow through all their honey, they can then go up to the very top and get that sugar as an emergency source. Um, so most of the time, Winter is just a time for us to freak out and be anxious and be nervous about our bees and the bees are always fine and they just, they, they knock it out of the park. So do you need to keep them under any sort of covering? Like if you do get a bunch of snow, is it fine if they get buried in your yeah. avalanches and stuff out there? Um, the, the biggest thing that we see in Colorado is people kind of like wrapping their hives and like blankets and putting like a heater underneath them and like moving them into the garage and things like that. Um, the snow is actually an amazing insulator. Um, and as long as they have, it's actually kind of counterintuitive, but 
the thing that you want to make sure that they have in those snowstorms is ventilation um, hmm. because your cluster is producing all this heat. And so when that heat hits the cold air, either on the top of the hive or the outside, that moisture vapor, like it condenses and it freezes. So if you don't have a good airflow in there, what's going to happen is that water is going to go to the top of the hive, um, sit on top of that roof, and then it's going to condense and freeze, and then it's going to fall back down on your bees and kill them. So you need to actually make sure that there's adequate ventilation in those snowstorms. Um, so if you follow along with us, like you probably saw, like, you know, we got like three or four feet of snow in a couple, like 24 hours or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I was out there with the toothbrush, like cleaning out the entrances of the hives, um, shoveling my sidewalks. <laughs> <laughs> they had the ventilation in there. Oof. So there are a lot of work is what you're saying. Well, okay. There are a lot of work because we have so many hives. If you yeah. have one or two backyard hives, it's actually not that much work. Um, there's a lot of research and a lot of learning that goes into it and that's super important but the actual like time that you're in your hive is maybe you know would maybe average an hour a week or less um, and you know there's a few kind of extraneous things that happen you're making sugar water and things like that to kind of feed them during the appropriate times um, but it's not a huge time commitment for just your like hobbyist beekeeper. So when you're talking, kind of switching gears, when you're talking about splitting your hives, so is it my understanding correct that there's only one queen per colony, correct? So correct. when you when you split a hive like that, do you need to purchase more queens for each new colony that you're splitting up? Yeah. Um, so the the natural tendency kind of of, of your queen and in the in the swarming process. Um, so a split is essentially a man-made swarm. You're taking their instincts and you're taking their tendencies and you're just kind of doing it for them. And sometimes it's kind of preempting that thing. Um, so it's important to kind of know like what the bees would do naturally um, and kind of mimic that. Um, so in a swarm, the, the mother queen um, will lay a bunch of eggs and leave all this food and honey and pollen and baby bees. And then she'll take half the workforce, and they're usually the older bees, uh, take the, half the workforce and leave, um, leaving the colony with eggs, workers who are about to emerge, all your nurse bees, all the honey, and all the pollen. Um, then your workers, like immediately within hours, know that the queen is gone because they can't smell her anymore. Mm -hmm. They'll take, you know, a frame of those eggs, which is like a thousand, they'll take maybe 20 of them and turn those in the queens. And so they then become the, the daughter is what's left behind. So when you do a split, we actually take the mother queen out of the hive with half of the bees and put them into a new hive, like away from where the original colony is. And then they have a frame of eggs. And so then they raise their daughters and then the daughters emerge and then we get the daughter of the queens. And so is the genetics keep getting passed on. Um, but you know, if we have a grumpy queen or we have a queen that didn't overwinter well, we don't want a daughter of her. So then that's when we would purchase a new one or introduce a, a queen from another colony that did better than she did. So, do, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so many questions. How do they like make a queen? If there's all these eggs, how do they pick just one to be the queen? Yeah, so actually it's kind of a numbers game. They're gonna make a lot of queens um, just so that they're uh, more likely to succeed. Um, so the 
the way you need to understand how bees are made. So uh, <laughs> first of all, the queen lays an egg um, and she's got uh, females and males and the males are called drones. And that's, uh, she lays an unfertilized egg and that makes a male bee. Then for the female bees, which are the worker bees and the queens, she lays a fertilized egg. So they actually start out exactly the same if it's a worker bee or a queen bee. Um, and then uh, after a few days, they're all fed royal jelly. Um, and that's an excretion that comes from the bees. Um, and so all of the eggs are fed that for the first few days. Um, and then the worker bees are transitioned to what's called bee bread. And it's a mixture of pollen and nectar. Um, and so that's what the worker bees are fed. But if they're gonna be a queen, they continue getting fed the royal jelly. And it's a superfood, um, and so it allows the queen to develop ovaries, and that's what makes her be the queen. So she's the only fertile um, bee in the whole hive. So what happens is when that mother queen leaves, she has all these eggs that are there. They're, they might all be worker bees at this point, but it's really easy for them to just continue feeding several of them royal jelly, and that turns them into queens. So then what they're gonna do is raise several queens, you know, Matt said like 20, um, it'll be a lot. And then the first um, bee that, uh, sorry, hatches is gonna be like the ruling queen basically. There's kind of variations on this, but she'll basically go through and kind of duke it out with the other queens. Um, and whoever, you know, is still alive at the end is the one that wins basically. Yeah. <laughs> So it's totally brutal. <laughs> yeah, there's this really cool thing. It's called uh, queen piping. Um, and you can YouTube it or whatever, but there's actually beekeepers who recorded this sound. Um, the, the queens actually pipe and they like make a noise back and forth to each other uh, when they emerge, challenging the other queens in the hive. Um, so if, if the, the queen pipes and doesn't get a pipe back, she'll then go and find all the cells and sting them through the cells and kill them and then pull them out before they hatch. <laughs> It's, it's a brutal oh, world. Right. <laughs> yeah. So That's intense. Wow. So then it takes a little while. The queen has to mate um, after that. So she has to like catch and duke it out. And then she matures for a few days. She goes out and mates with a whole bunch of drones from other hives. Um, and then she comes back and eventually will start laying eggs. And then that's how the hive keeps going. <laughs> Is there like a certain... Um like a breeding period for bees? Like, do they typically hatch around the same time every year? Or like, do you know when to kind of look for it? Yeah, um, so it's called like the spring buildup. Um, so, you know, in, in the winter, it, and it's really actually pretty amazing. It's like right at summer solstice or winter solstice. Winter solstice, when the days are getting longer, like to the day, um, your queen will start laying again. Um, is, is fascinating, but um, your your workers, they take about 21 days um, from egg to um, emerging. Your drones take 24 days um, and your queens take 16. So when you get into a hive and you pull up a frame, you can actually, it's like looking at a calendar because um, you can know like how old that egg is by how it's standing in the cell. You can tell like when those eggs are gonna hatch if the, the brood cat is capped. You can say, okay, well, you know, um, this frame holds 7,000 cells. It's completely full of cap cells that, that are going to be hatching here in 10 days. So you can quickly do the math and go, okay, I have, you know, four or five frames. There's 3,000 bees on each, and they're about to hatch in 10 days. 
Um, so then you can add it up and say, you know, in 10 days, the population of my hive is going to double or triple or quadruple. I need to make the room for it. And then another sign is uh, when they start making a lot of drones. Um, so that's kind of the signal for when we want to split. A queen can't mate unless there's other drones available. And so, so there's really no mating going on in the winter. They kick the drones out of the hive. Um, and so that, you know, winter is a bad time. Even late fall is really difficult um, because the drones have started to go away. Um, so it's really spring through the summer, but it, it does happen continuously spring through summer, you know, kind of into fall a little bit. So I know the queen is, is easy for a trained eye to find, but is there an easy way to tell the difference between a worker bee and a drone? Yeah. So the, the, the drone, I, his butt, um, is kind of square. Um, and he's very wide. Um, but the, the telltale giveaway for them is one, like their bumbly behavior. They just bumble around. Um, you will find them like near the food. So if you find a honey frame or a pollen frame, you're going to find drones. Um, but then they also, they also have, I call them like aviator sunglasses. Um, so their eyes go from like their nose all the way to the top of their head. Um, and it looks like they're wearing sunglasses. Um, and they, they get confused a lot for the queen, but they are longer and chubbier um, than your worker bees. And then the eyes are a, a big giveaway for that. And the queen is just like a behemoth compared to <laughs> the other bees, right? Like she's just a monster. Yeah, I mean, she's pretty big. Her abdomen is about twice as long as a, work, as a regular worker bee. Um, and then like her back um, is kind of shiny versus the worker bees are a lot more hairy. Um, she also kind of moves a lot differently than the worker bees. So that's actually kind of what we look for a lot. She'll just kind of walk, it's called making a bee line. So, you know, walking kind of in a straight line, plowing a path through all those other worker bees. Um, so it's kind of easier to spot her based on the behavior as well. So I ask this of a lot of dairy farmers because I know nothing about cows or anything. I always ask them <laughs> what brand of cow they have instead of. Yeah. Um, so are there different <laughs> are there different brands of bees? <laughs> there are, um, and, and we we have them all. Uh, just about we have like the three top. Um, so they're it's, uh, called different races. Um, so then each race of bees has different characteristics. Um, so the, the most common kind of hobbyist backyard beekeeping bees, um, are Italians. Um, they are gentle to work with. Um, they are okay at overwintering, um, and moderate to pretty good, um, honey production. Um, the thing that's kind of tricky with the Italians is that they actually keep brood. So they're laying babies all winter long, um, which if you're in Colorado is not very advantageous because when you have babies, you need to keep the hive warmer. And in order to keep it warmer, you actually you plow through your honey stores quicker. Um, so a lot of people do Italian just because they're easy to work with. Um, so we have some Italians. Um, we have Carniolans. Um, those guys kind of come from the um, Caucasus region, um, Ukraine, that kind of area. Um, they are, to us, our favorite bees. Um, the queen is like pitch black, um, just gorgeous. Um, it's like an Arabian horse of beekeeping. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they are um, a lot better at overwintering. Um, and they actually do not, um, most of the time, don't raise brood um, in the winter. 
So they actually overwinter and don't go through um, your honey stores as much. Um, then we have uh, Russians. Um, so these guys were brought over kind of in the 90s um, to the United States. They are, in our experience, um, way more aggressive and territorial than the other bees. Um, but in exchange for that, um, they have better hygienics. Um, so they actually clean the hive and keep it a lot cleaner um, and makes them disease, not resistant, but more disease able to fight off. Um, and their honey production is just through the roof. Mm -hmm. um, we had a one hive first year, which you, you normally don't get honey the first year. Um, we got 200 pounds from one hive, um, a first year hive of Russians. Um, but we keep those guys out in the country. Um, we do not put them in, in the city next to people um, because they chase us. Um, we have to mm -hmm. walk about a quarter mile down the road before they leave us alone. Oh, good. <laughs> so do you have to keep them like a certain like length apart, the hives between the different races, or do they kind of just like stay with their own, like they don't really come together? Yeah, no, you don't have to keep them apart. Um, they're fine. They'll they'll uh, be fine foraging out together, um, and they all know right where their own hive is um, and go back in. And they actually have little guard bees. Um, at the entrance. And so if someone's coming in who doesn't actually belong there, they'll kick them out and, you know, that bee can go and figure out where they're supposed to go. But they're actually amazing um, at their orientation. They're, they know right where their um, entrance is. I mean, like to the centimeter. So if you move your hive, even a few inches, it's going to mess them up. It's really interesting to watch. You know, sometimes we'll be adjusting a hive or whatever and you know you can see all the bees landing where their entrance is supposed to be <laughs> even though it's just right here you know but they don't see it that way Ooh. that's so interesting everything about this is just so cool um so we we rent honeybees for pollination out on cranberry marshes so we just got our bees um last weekend and then we're getting the rest of ours um, I think tonight actually our second half. So we have probably like close to 700 hives total out here. Um, so we have a lot of bees and we've worked with a couple different beekeepers. So right now I think we get ours from Northern Minnesota. Um, but before this beekeeper, we were actually working with a guy and he, he brought us some super aggressive bees and he didn't tell us that ahead of time. He just said that they're great workers. That's all he said. They're great workers. You're going to get a lot of, a lot of bees and they're going to be amazing, but they were, they would just, like you said, they would just follow you and chase you unprovoked. I got stung so many times that year. And then finally, when he came and picked them up, we're like, what, what the heck did you give us? We don't want these anymore. <laughs> like get them away. Yeah. I mean, like we'd be driving in our truck and they would try to sting us through the windshield. Like they were just yeah. They're awful. And he said, oh, they're the African killer bees or something oh. like that. And it's like, why would you think that's a good idea when you know we're going to be working right out here with them? Like it was, it was oh. nuts. But now we have um, a different beekeeper who has much tamer bees and it's much nicer and more enjoyable yeah, to be so out there. Normally you guys don't have problems with having that many hives and you're out mm -mm. there that's great. Yeah. I mean, unless if it's um, kind of earlier in the season, like right now we don't have, we're maybe at like a 10%, 10 to 15% bloom. So not full, um, even close to full. So 
if it's kind of earlier in the season and it's rainy and they don't want to be out and about, then kind of that first day with the sunshine when they're more active is maybe when they're a little bit nastier, but otherwise, yeah, you can walk right out there with them and they just bump into you and say, Oh, sorry. (laughs) And then just keep on going. Yeah. (laughs) They're, they're very nice. Yeah. But, um, you guys, you guys, do you sell honey too? We do. Um, we, uh, just sold out. So that, that's one of the, the things that's kind of fun and the challenge in Colorado um, is that, like I said before, we had this four month window where honey is not being produced. Um, you know, so it's kind of interesting as, you know, trying to do this professionally is like, how, what do you do in those four months where mm-hmm. there's no honey? Um, but yeah, we are, we, we sold out, um, but we're going for our first harvest here in June. Um, then normally we get a June, July, August, and sometimes even a September harvest. Um, and we are able, we have a retail license, so we're able to ship out of state and uh, sell in markets and coffee shops and stores, and all that good stuff. So um, look us up, you know, in the next month or so, and we'll send you some Colorado honey. Yeah. Um, what is the process to like getting the honey? I mean, I'm sure you just don't go out and throw it in a bottle and then sell it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's pretty much what we do. Yeah, you don't have like a tap that you can just turn on and off and it just runs out. <laughs> Yeah, they do make those kind of hives, but we don't use them. (laughs) Gotta have a little work. It is a lot of work and it is incredibly sticky. Um, So (laughs) up until this point, we've done all of it in our own kitchen. uh, But starting this year, we'll be working in a commercial kitchen, which I am thrilled to not have the mess at home. That is going to be such a benefit. Um, but yeah, you have to start by taking the honey frames away from the bees, um, which of course they don't really like. Um, so that's a bit of a process to get the bees off of them and get the frames away from them. Um, so then we bring them home uh, and then everything else happens inside. You don't want to do it outside, otherwise you'll be bombarded with bees. Um, so you actually want to heat everything up, like whatever room you're going to be doing it in or whatever, you kind of want to have everything as warm as you can handle it it makes the honey flow a lot better. So even in the summer, like we'll have all the windows closed and a heater on. <laughs> yeah, well, you get a lot more honey. That's enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so then um, you have to take the cappings. Um, so once the honey is ready, uh, which means that the water content is 18% or less, then the bees put a little wax capping over the top of it. So then it's kind of like their storage cupboard. So you have to cut that off. So we use like a hot planer um, and you cut that capping off and then you put the frame into um, a centrifuge and it spins around and it spins the honey out and then it drains down. We put ours through just one um, simple filter um, just to get out like the big chunks of wax and then it goes into a bottle. So we don't heat it, we don't filter it, you know, really. Um, So it's all called, called raw and unfiltered honey is the best you can get. I was going to say a lot of people have That's said awesome. that honey straight from the comb is completely different than what you buy in store. So what is that extra process that, you know, like most generic honey goes through that just changes the flavor so much? Is it, does it have to be pasteurized or is it like just extra filtration? That That's what it is. Um, and the irony there is that when you do that, you're actually losing all the good nutrients of the honey. Um, and People have just, I don't know if it's a misconception, but, you know, they, they don't want crystallized honey, um, you know, so they want the stuff that is oozy and liquidy on their shelves. Um, but 
the true mark of raw and the healthiest honey you can get is the, the honey that crystallizes um, because it has all those enzymes it has all that stuff in it um, so if your honey is sitting there for two years and it's still runny it's been pasteurized it's been heated um, and all that good stuff that is good for your immunity and stuff is gone um, so we don't heat it at all we just literally cap it spin it put it into a jar and seal it um, so it's it's an education part um, on our part you know as a seller of honey to educate people that crystallized honey is not bad honey don't throw it out um and you know we have to kind of teach people how to rewarm it um, without losing that nutritional value and not just sticking in the microwave and nuking it you know <laughs> is there any sort of with the raw like i know with raw milk you've got your chance of e coli or listeria things like that is there anything in like raw honey that would ever you know that you'd ever be concerned about you know, there shouldn't be. Um, everything should be sanitized, uh, like all the jars and, you know, people should be washing their hands and the equipment all gets sanitized ahead of time. Um, honey has a very low chance of letting bacteria grow because the water content is so low. Um, so as long as, you know, your honey um, processors are taking, you know, care to sanitize equipment and do things, you know, in a proper way, it really should be fine. Um, I mean, there's always a chance, of course, but um, chances are low, I would say. And there's um, some Egyptologists or whatever that they discovered some honey in a ceramic jar in a tomb and they cracked it open and ate it. <laughs> oh, that's reassuring. So, yeah. so it's got a long shelf life. It sure yeah. does. Forever, really. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite way to enjoy honey? Mm. You know, um, I'll, I'll kind of sidestep that and say I just love honey. Um, so wherever I go, I try to get different types of honey. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's almost like sipping whiskey. Like you get all the different flavors. Yep. Um, so I don't really ever put it in anything. I just kind of take a spoonful and just eat it. Um, just cause I think the taste itself is good. I like it on bananas. I like it on English muffins. I like it in everything. I bake with it a lot, you know, pretty much use honey as the main sweetener. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, in your coffee and your tea, obviously, but, um, then, you know, like your yogurt, your ice cream, um, yeah. we, we make like a cinnamon cream honey. So if you get like a little Ooh. bit of honey, a little bit of cinnamon, put that on vanilla ice cream and bananas, it's like a poor man's banana foster. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you know, check that out. Um, really, you know, breads and pretty much like Sarah said, anything that is sweetener, um, you know, but um, we got like tobat tobacco honey. Um, and that's a very distinct flavor. Wow. But kind of smoky it, it, you know it's just like whiskey you can just kind of sit there and sample it and kind of let it play with your palate a little bit is it that's all i didn't know there was yeah. flavored honey <laughs> yeah. yeah um is that kind of like the most is that kind of like the one that jumps out at you is kind of the most distinguished or like has the most specific taste yeah um you know we went down to um cozumel like to the yucatan peninsula and they have uh, melipona honey which is like a native um, native bee to Mexico, um, and got their honey. And it, it, it's sour tasting. Um, and it's really interesting, you know, and then we reach out to our friends who have like honeybees on like mesquite places. Um, so mesquite honey is a total thing. And then you can get like clover and buckwheat mm -hmm. and like all that stuff. And so you can get like all these different ranges. Um, but yeah, I think the tobacco one was, it was like sipping on a really multi, um, you know, um, 
kind of smoky, smoky honey is really interesting. Yeah. I'll have to send you guys some cranberry blossom honey and, and sure. then you'll have to let me know what you think. I've heard it's very comparable to a clover honey. I'm not like okay. a taste expert, but I've heard that's what it's pretty similar to. So yeah, we'll, we'll give you one in exchange. Perfect. <laughs> well, guys, it looks like we are running out of time. So thank you again for joining us tonight. And um, where can people find you on social media if they want to check you out online? Um, where can where can they find you? Yeah. Um, so we're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, both of them are Homestead in the Hood. Um, otherwise, we have a website. Um, it's homesteadinthehood.com. Uh, we do tours. We do online classes. Um, all of our, our store there with the honey. Um, and all the other wax products. Uh, so check those out as well, because uh, it's not always just about the honey. There are other things that come out of those little boxes. Um, so go ahead and check that out. Um, and if you have any questions, you know, one of the things that we love to do is just kind of educate people and bring people together. So uh, find us on social media and we'd love to connect with you and say, hey, and uh, share to be love. Yeah. And I mean, I learned, we learned a lot tonight. I, I didn't know a lot of that stuff. And I thought I knew a little bit about bees to begin with. So thank you guys. Thank you guys for learning us tonight. <laughs> You're very welcome. Well, thanks for having us. This was fun. All right, guys. Well, that, that does it for tonight's episode. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram over at forward farming podcast. You can find Becca over at farming with the Hillbees and myself over at cranberry chats. And don't forget to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that podcasts are found. Um, and if you're feeling generous, feel free to leave us a little review too. We always appreciate that. So thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.